Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This week, actually, we are uh, spending our time uh, devoted to talking to a number of educators who have been impacted, obviously, by the worldwide pandemic, uh, COVID-19, and we have a group of educators with us today from uh, throughout the U.S. Um, who have agreed to join us. Uh, welcome to you. Uh, we appreciate you uh, spending, taking some time out of your day to talk to us and keep us uh, uh, up to date on what's happening out there. Uh, to our faithful listeners, thank you. Welcome back, and thank you for being a part of uh, over 5,000 listeners that tune in uh, each episode. And to our new listeners, welcome. We're glad you've joined us. Uh, so um, I'm going to jump right in, and we have, uh, you know, this 30 minutes really goes really quickly. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time with me talking because I know you're tuned in to hear from um, these educators. We have um, Tangela, who's uh, tuned in from uh, Memphis, and we have Trevor in Miami, and we have Darren in um, Selma, Alabama. So welcome to each of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so today's show is uh, focused on uh, making the most of our time. A lot of people are operating uh, from home, um, and I know there are a number of you that are actually doing work. We had um, a young man that is a uh, administrator down in, in Southern Texas, uh, his um, school was serving as a daycare for first responder children. And so I know some of you are doing extraordinary um, uh, jobs right now in, in terms of making sure that children are still cared for, even though there are stay at home, kind of stay sheltered um, uh, orders. Um, and so I just want to hear, um, I know uh, there are some pretty interesting things going on. Let's start. Trevor, I'd like to ask you about some of the things that is ha- that are happening in the Miami area um, for uh, keeping students engaged in, in the education process during this time. Yeah, I mean, looking at what's going on across the country, it seems like our school district was actually – more prepared or uniquely prepared to face this because we actually have um, an emergency set. We've been stockpiling um, computers and electronic devices so that in an event such as this, we're actually able to give every single student their own laptop computer or um, cell phone or something so that they can continue digital learning at home. And so the speed with which um, the district rolled that out and the way in which we got those to students and families was pretty incredible. There's been some shortages and instances where a particular school didn't have enough, but the fact that 
know, learning is still happening in a limited capacity online is, is really, really impressive. We've also been able to maintain um, all students who need or require it um, are able to get food from the schools twice a day, um, and that includes things for their families as well. So it feels, it feels pretty good to be a Miamian, all things considered right now, um, you know, in a, in a bleak world. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, um, and this is open to anyone who wants to jump in and say a few words. Um, you know, Trevor, you just alluded to the fact that, um, you know, in fairly short order, you were able to do that. And that's really impressive. Um, we all know that in Miami uh, and the area uh, is certainly no stranger to um, having to prepare for uh, natural um, natural incidents of uh, hurricanes and floods. Um, um, but um, what about the preparation for the teachers? I'm hearing mixed stories around the country about teachers um, uh, in, in some cases being ready and other places not really being ready to do this. Um, so just open to anyone who wants to talk a little bit about um, um, how that has impacted you in your districts um, of teachers being ready to, to roll out an electronic or virtual classroom? Well, speaking in Memphis, we were not anticipating the duration, uh, I guess, as far as what the news is casting for the time that our students will be out. But uh, our teachers have very limited time to prepare. One of the uh, positives, though, throughout this is we have an academic team within our district that uh, pretty much had put together some learning curriculums uh, that were easily accessible from online as well as um, shared within the schools to send home to the students once we got the notification that we were going to be at. Um, one of the other things that our district has done is we, too, as in uh, Miami Day, we are doing a feeding program, a meal program for our students. And for those students who do not have that access to online materials, we were graciously giving uh, from our partnership with um, one of our community partners, they donated the paper for us to actually print packets for every student within the district in case they needed those packets and they just came to those locations to pick them up. That's excellent. Thank you. Yeah, that's fantastic. And Darren, what, what's happening in Alabama? Well, similarly, I don't think we were as prepared for such a rapid transition into kind of an online or virtual learning model. In rural Alabama, students don't necessarily have the same access to Internet that we might have in the school building. At my school system specifically, we were able to distribute Chromebooks that we had available to students, and we were able to create enrichment packets for students. We are currently on our spring break this week, so we created assignments for enrichment that were distributed to students last week um, to be working on while we anticipate returning April 6th. Of course, that could change as the pandemic continues to just, you know, develop in the United States. Um, one thing that I've also loved seeing similarly to I think what I heard has happening in the Memphis area, a lot of our local nonprofits have really been coming to also support 
students. Um, I know a few in um, the community I live in have been ensuring our students have meals, that they have access to lunches and breakfast during the day. And I know our public school system is also working to ensure that's taking place as well. I think it will be quite a transition for us going to an online model, and I think as this develops, it will be interesting to see what online education will look like in kind of this rural context that I live in. Sure, sure. Um, you know, my question um, also around, you know, I guess it's not so much about teacher preparedness is, um, so what are some of the things that at least you're seeing that uh, is happening um, with, so we, we've been saying uh, go online, it's virtual classrooms now. So what happens in these virtual classrooms? What are people doing to keep young people learning during this time? Um, what does that look like, actually? Because I know a lot of people have asked me, what, so is it business as usual? You get kids in a virtual classroom and you do the same kinds of things. What is it actually that people are doing right now? From what I go ahead, Tangela. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was I was gonna say um, it it in some ways in a sad way what I'm seeing is that it kind of pulls out the safety net of school for a lot of kids even in in a digital form and what I mean by that is that the teachers in Miami. Um, generally have like a one to a three hour block of time where they're able to meet with students, they're available uh, to have chats with parents and all those things. But it is really more kind of reliant upon the parent to be entrepreneurial and to really seek that guidance and to reach out to the teacher. And so what I really foresee happening is that, you know, in instances where a phone number doesn't work or we can't get connected with a student or, a, you know, a family like that, not having that child in your care every day to be able to provide that direct resource is really going to start to create an inequity in schools in terms of, you know, parents advocating for their children is going to matter more than ever now. Um, and I, I just, I, I think that Miami being about as prepared as you possibly could be to roll out a digital learning platform in a moment's notice um, we're already seeing how that is kind of – certain students are able to take advantage of it more than others, you know, relating to Internet access um, and, and a variety of other things. Okay. Thank you. Tangela, you had something? Actually, I was going to uh, sort of mirror what Trevor was saying. You're seeing teachers do assignments uh, through those different platforms. And they're assigning modules that are uh, relevant to the uh, standards that our state has required the students to be um, participants in. But also, one of the things that our district is doing is our district has set up a home uh, homework hotline, sort of speak, for those parents who are having difficulty in understanding what the modules online are requiring the students to do. They've staffed that site with uh, certified instructors to help them understand what those uh, modules are asking each child to do, as well as somewhat guide them through that process. Mm, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and and uh, Darren, what about you? 
So I think, again, being in kind of this unique situation right now, we aren't doing necessarily online classrooms as we would traditionally um, because we, you know, have not, we're just doing enrichment as the state of Alabama is calling it. So what's been really, I think, interesting that I really appreciate is I think the Alabama State Department of Education, the Early Childhood Education Department, we've really been encouraging our families locally and throughout the state to just keep our students engaged in different learning activities that even might combine kind of theory with application. So it might be something as simple as you're making a recipe together at home and you're learning to measure the ingredients or you're reading books as a family maybe every night. Really just trying to keep our students engaged academically. Our state superintendent sent out kind of a video announcement today encouraging our families just to keep our students engaged, to pique their interests in different hobbies, to keep them outside and to, of course, practice social distancing. So I will be curious if we stay past kind of April 6th, what that online kind of transition will look like. But Mm -hmm. we're not quite there yet. Sure, sure. You know, and and that's that's very helpful. I I do think that a lot of people um, have imagined that um, it it was something that you can just get students uh, in a virtual classroom setting and then stand in front of a camera and and teach like you normally would. But um, online learning is, is uh, vi- it takes a lot of planning um, and it takes a lot of uh, uh, activities that individuals can do on their own. Um, so it's a very different idea than just bringing people together online and, and giving them the same thing that you would uh, um, in person, um, which, which really makes me think about going back to the whole idea of preparation. So given that this has happened um, and that we see that it is possible, um, what do you think might change? Do you think um, districts, um, though yours included, um, but do you think districts are, are going to take a different uh, posture with regard to uh, professional development for teachers in this area? Or, or do you think, uh, you know, this is kind of an anomaly and we'll go back to business as usual? What do you think? I think that we're going to see more blended learning definitely taking place within uh, our planning processes for uh, teachers which is going to require teachers uh, to receive more professional development around it because they're not used to it. They're used to that direct instruction model. I think we're going to see more blended learning uh, put into place within our regular classrooms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of want to echo just agreement with that. I think some teachers are already trying to infuse technology into traditional instruction, maybe they're using platforms like Edmodo or Google Classroom or other technology like Kahoot to review materials, but I think we'll see more teachers that might not be as invested in those online resources um, might be required or might be strongly encouraged to integrate to some capacity. That way, if something like this were to happen in the future, there would be a way to address it. It would be a smoother transition, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. Um, So for those of you who uh, may be just joining us, uh, 
Welcome to the Perkins Platform. Um, we are talking to a group of educators today uh, on the topic of how do we make the most of our time and keep learning during this um, COVID-19 uh, uh, pandemic. Uh, may have some teachers, leaders, board members that are out there interested in having your voice heard today. Feel free to call in. Uh, be able to take a couple of calls today, 657 657- Three eight three one four eight one again six five seven three eight three one four eight one. Feel free to call in and we'll um, get your um, your question or your comment aired. Um, one other question I have, I guess, for my my panelists um, that that came to mind um, is around uh, the I guess what we might call the the leadership required for this. Um, what are you seeing that outside of, say, even your preparation as a leader, that might be something that um, could be done uh, for people to be prepared for these type of crises? Uh, and and what, what you think uh, some of the next steps could be to prepare? And I mean, of course, we have people that are going into preparation programs, but now that we're here, uh, there are a lot of people who are who have been principals for a number of years and never thought in their wildest dreams that we would be where we are today. Um, how do you prepare for this? What kind of preparation, if any, do you think would have been helpful uh, to have to face what you what you're currently find yourself what you find yourself doing now? I think you definitely have to be flexible uh, as the leader uh, of a school because technically your teachers, your staff in general, they're looking to you for answers. So you must be flexible. You must be calm in your situation. And a couple of things that you might want to look at as a leader, you look at what do my followers need of me? You know, you have to survey your staff to see what does your staff truly need from you to know that we're going to make it through this point. And we have to look at appropriate alternatives as to what our students need versus what we would think our students would need. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that we really need to make sure we're also investing in the wellness of our faculty. I think we look at social-emotional learning and think about that in our classrooms for our students. But I think it would also be powerful to ensure that school leaders are also ensuring their staff are, you know, mentally doing well and are also feeling that support that was already stated. So that's kind of what I think about when I think about leadership and this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. As, um, as a proud graduate of the Columbia University Summer Principal Academy, I think one thing – that I definitely learned from that experience that's really helped me is that you have to look at the full picture and ecosystem in which a school functions. And I think that you have to balance between executing in the moment crisis management and kind of zooming forward and thinking about all of the different component pieces that could really damage schools and children moving forward. One of the examples of that is, um, like contingency plans in place to support uh, part-time staffers that do not have, you know, kind of paid leave benefits or, or healthcare benefits, for example, 
Um, also, all of the different support programs that surround the safety net of the school. Um, if those go away and those individuals that leave those programs or run those programs, um, you know, have to find alternative work or are no longer able to support themselves through the nature of this crisis, when schools reopen, um, how do you maintain continuity and find people to fulfill you know, those different roles and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think about a student whose IEP was in process, you know, or was in the, in the stages of getting that done, you know, in the midst of this and how much further that will be delayed moving forward. So I think that there's mm -hmm. a lot to really kind of strategize and plan around um, in, in terms of ensuring that we do right by kids in the future mm -hmm. as well. Sure. And, and, you know, I was asked by, a colleague this morning um, because I've had opportunity to talk to a lot of educators over the past two weeks. Um, but um, I was asked, so what are people doing? What are they actually doing at, in these virtual classrooms? What are the, um, and, and um, to my surprise, um, I was talking to um, a colleague in New York city um, yesterday, and she uh, is a principal in Brooklyn, and um, revealed that the um, the schools are expected to uh, carry on in this virtual environment. But not mm -hmm. only that, that the principals are expected to do observations. That um, they're doing observations of uh, classrooms. And I just thought, wow, that, that must be stressful, not only to the principals going into these, these environments, because that's not something that's happened before, but the teachers, you know, the pressure of, of trying to do, you know, do the best you can and then um, have to be evaluated or observed um, seems to be a lot of added pressure. Um, what do you think about that? Um, is that is that necessarily the best thing to do while people are trying to keep uh, kind of keep things afloat? Uh, should they be being um, uh, evaluated in some way or observed? What do you, what do you think about that? Wow, <laughs> I think there's this balance between accountability and also being supportive. So when I hear that, I would almost encourage school leaders that are required to do that to take the approach of how can I support you, this is what I'm seeing, and kind of look at it from that angle rather than I'm going to formally review what you're doing as we all transition into this new model of learning, especially for teachers that have maybe been in the classroom for decades who might not be as familiar with online teaching as we figure this out kind of wow. together as an education community. So that's kind of my initial reaction. There's accountability. I understand that, but also making sure it's coming from a place of I want to support you and I want to help you develop and help you navigate this whole new experience that we're all going through together. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tangela, I heard you gasp. And uh, when I was telling the story, what, what, how do you feel about that? Oh, I couldn't imagine uh, because that was one of the big uh, concerns that were brought out uh, in our meetings that we've been having. And um, our district and our state, our governor and commissioner of ed suspended that process. Mm. So I can't imagine putting teachers 
in that position, especially like um, I think it was Darren that was stating our um, more seasoned teachers. I could mm-hmm. imagine if you have no exposure to how to teach online classes, how can you actually um, evaluate the teacher on that? Mm-hmm. That would mm-hmm. seem so unfair. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. And I wouldn't want our kids to be exposed. We t- we tell teachers every day, you know, be fair to children. Let's be fair to our instructional leaders as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, I um, and I, I hear you, and I um, I agree. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, came to mind for me was that um, wh- while we have all of this going on with um, COVID, um, there have been historically a lot of districts. And I know that the three of you are in districts where there's a a great deal of disparity between kind of the haves and have nots. And I know that the three of you are in high needs areas and are really working to close the gap um, in a lot of ways. and and so there's kind of now this added pressure of uh, the absence from being at school is going to uh, likely widen the gap. How is that making you feel about what kinds of things people are doing right now, too? Um, is there anything that you can think of that that might be put in place to help uh, ease that, or is it just that kind of the mindset right now is something is better than nothing? I'm hearing that too. That you know, it's just trying to keep them engaged, um, but but in the meantime, um, there are people, and we're not certainly not saying that people should not. If you have the resources, certainly utilize them to care for your children. Anyone would do that. Uh, for some of us, our responsibilities, like our jobs are certainly to uh, engage and make sure that we are addressing the needs of people who, um, who have been historically disadvantaged and underserved. Um, and so what do you, how do you feel about that being um, exasperated at this point? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's frustrating because, like you already said, a lot of our students um, were serving in areas where these huge disparities, and that's been a thought in the back of my head every day since we've been out, is what does this mean for my students? How will this impact the trajectory of their educational success, and what can I do to support them? And I think that's the question, I mean, I've been grappling with. I try to communicate with my students regularly through Google Classroom or email um, just to do check-ins to see how they're doing, try to, you know, provide support through the enrichment packets I provided, answering any questions they have about that, um, and just trying to engage my students in that capacity um, so they know that they are valued, that their education is valued, and that people are working to do everything they can to make sure they are receiving some kind of education during this just unprecedented time in history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a caller, um, a caller that has dialed in from uh, 713 area code. Uh, caller, just give us your name and your question or comment. 
Hi, my name is Lanny. I'm calling you guys from Houston, Texas. Um, really enjoying the conversation. Um, my comments, I've, I have several comments regarding three of the questions that you've actually posed. Um, my comment regarding the PD question that you posed is that I do think PD is going to look drastically different um, for a number of reasons. I think uh, many school districts here are adopting the parent universities. So I think one area in which PD will look different is that the parent university and parent engagement piece now should have more meat to it um, as people understand the importance of keeping parents engaged. Uh, two, uh, PD regarding the professionals should look differently, especially in those areas of alternative education and homebound education. Uh, now, I think this situation has proven or demonstrated to us that um, that these things are now possible. Compulsory education doesn't have to be in the school building, in the face-to-face -face communication with a highly qualified or certified teacher. Uh, my question or my response regarding the evaluation piece is that <clears throat> how do you actually uh, place into teacher records their professional personnel files uh, evaluations that have yet to follow the prescribed procedures for conducting evaluations. There has been no pre-conference. The teachers have not delivered this style of instruction throughout the course of the year. Uh, a huge component of all evaluation system is student engagement. Uh, evaluators would be unable to actually monitor and question whether or not students are actively engaged. Uh, facilitative instruction is a huge component of uh, your, your highly successful teachers, and there is just no component to date as to how do you ensure that under such quick adoption. And uh, as far as the students that are different, being treated different with the disparities, I think that you, you, this is a slippery slope. Um, we, we are drastically failing our special needs students at this point in time. There is just no way that you can meet those students' needs under their compensatory time with them being away from school and certified teachers who are skilled at differentiating that instruction. So mm -hmm. thank you guys for <laughs> allowing me that opportunity to come in. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much um, to the caller from Houston. Um, any responses to that? Any of you, please jump right in. Well, I'm, I'm going to, I'll just say um, for me, I, I appreciate the points. Um, uh, you know, one of the, what, what just came to mind to me that uh, you just, you mentioned that I think it's easy unless you are, uh, dealing with the population on a daily basis is the population special needs students. Um, and, and how are those uh, needs being met um, at all um, where there are, there's a, a real large range of uh, ability um, in, in any given classroom, but that there are uh, special uh, instructional methodologies that are employed to maximize their learning experience as well. Um, and, and some of those don't lend themselves to a virtual environment. So what do you do in those cases? Um, it really, I th thank you for bringing that up. 
and keeping that and you know at the forefront of what we are talking about because uh, I think it's easy for us to assume that all you need is internet access, a computer, a webcam, and students can have their needs met. Um, that does not, in fact, meet the spirit of uh, no. Ch- I'm sorry of IDEA. Um, it is not at all in that in uh, meets their their needs. So uh, thank you for bringing that up for us. Um, any final comments from anyone? I know we have run over just a little bit, but um, anybody, I, I know that they, as we said, all of you are dealing with some really difficult circumstances. And so I want to take the opportunity to thank you personally for the work that you're doing. And um, I know that in your leadership roles, you not only have to um, worry about the, the well-being of your the students, but also other adults that are in the building. And so uh, just remember to take uh, care of yourselves as well um, as leaders and do what you need to do to be health, uh, healthy and whole um, yourselves. Um, so any final comments before we, we sign off today? Nope. Okay. Well, um, uh, sorry, just also want to remind people about tomorrow's show. It starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Um, uh, we have educators from all over the world that are going to be joining us tomorrow. So again, thank you for listening in and until tomorrow, go well, stay well.